Um, but I want to just encourage you, I'm not going to speak for long this morning, but turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we'll get there in just a moment. Now obviously today is Easter Sunday, it doesn't take a genius to work out uh, that we would be speaking around something that orbits around the, Christ- the Easter, not Christmas, Easter moment and message. And if you've been to church for any amount of time before, maybe you've just come once before, you'll probably know a lot to do with Easter and what Easter is really all about. And really, Easter, we know, focuses in on two central focal points, the cross and the tomb. And we can't have one without the other, cross and the tomb, both of which speak of things that we could do. We couldn't live without them. We couldn't do this Christianity without them. You see, this is what our entire faith is based upon. Our faith isn't based on coming to church on a Sunday morning, singing some songs, having some cake and then going home. Otherwise, all we are is a social club with a bit of religion attached to it. That's not what our faith is based upon. Our faith isn't based upon being nice people because there's plenty of nice people in this world with little or no faith, right? Our faith isn't based on answered questions or even answered prayer. Our faith is based upon the cross and the tomb and the message that we celebrate at Easter. This is the storyline, of course, of redemption. But I want you to understand so clearly today that this is your storyline of redemption. We so often think, for God so loved the world. Yes, he did. But God so loved you individually, sat in your seat this morning. For God so loved you that he sent his one and only son. God and humanity is the story, but actually you are involved in that story. This is your story. It's the storyline of God and you. Now, we of course sit here this morning and talk about Easter with the whole benefit of hindsight. It's easy, isn't it? Hindsight's a wonderful thing to look back and we know the account, we know what happened, we know the resurrection. But imagine for a moment what it would have been like for the very first disciples, those who were journeying with Jesus, those who had put their hope and their trust and their faith in Jesus. That very first Easter, which of course they didn't know was Easter, they didn't name it Easter, that was a man-made thing later on. They didn't know they were in the Bible, they were just living everyday life. And Jesus had stepped into their ordinary. Jesus had stepped into their world and said, leave everything behind and come follow me. Many of us, if not all of us, have had experience of Jesus stepping into our world, encountering us, us encountering him, and our lives being radically changed as a result. And so these guys leave behind businesses, people, family, things that they know, and they begin to follow Jesus. And it's amazing. He begins to do these miracles, and they're watching, and yes, he turns water into wine, but then he begins to do things that really affect people. He begins to open blind eyes. He begins to make deaf ears pop open. He begins to raise people from the dead. He casts out demons, and all these miracles are happening, but also he's a storyteller. And more than that, he's a teacher. He's a revolutionary teacher, and he's teaching things that that people have never heard before about stuff they thought they always knew. And these disciples are close to the action. They're in the very center of all of this, and it's building and it's building. And one day they walk into Jerusalem, and the crowds are cheering, and there's kids cheering, and there's older people cheering, and there's religious people who aren't sure about what's really going on. But people are cheering his name, and they're laying down palm leaves and coats and all manner of things what we celebrate as Palm Sunday and they're in the midst of all of this and that week 
Jesus goes into the temple and he flips the table for money changers. This is building, this is exciting. They are in the very centre of God's will for their life. And then, and then everything changes in one moment. Judas, one of them, the inner, the inner group, betrays Jesus. And the disciples, because of fear, just scatter everywhere. Peter, who said otherwise, denies the very knowledge of Jesus. He pretends he doesn't even know who he is. Jesus is arrested. He's taken away. And the crowds who just one week ago were cheering his name now shout, crucify him. Crucify him. And the horrific journey of the cross begins and the governor's soldiers strip Jesus and they mock him and they gamble for his clothes and they laugh at him and they whip him repeatedly with this whip called a flag room which was this this whip with leather strips upon it and at the end of each leather strip was this ball of lead and they hit him against his shoulder and his, his back and his legs and to begin with it would only hit the skin but after repetition after repetition after repetition it began to sink in and rip the skin off his back and as they mocked him they spat in his face and they forced this crown of thorns mockingly upon his scalp forcing it into his scalp which would cause this deep cuts all because he dared to say that he was a king of the Jews and they make Jesus carry this, this cross, this cross to his place of execution and the crucifixion begins. Now crucifixion was invented by the Persians, it was perfected by the Romans and it was arguably the most painful death that anybody has and ever will experience. This was a death primarily reserved for the most vicious of criminals. This is the, the, the area or the, the group of people that they'd lumped Jesus in. And we have this moment where the Son of God, the Word became flesh, the one who was there in the moment of creation, is being tortured by the very people that he created. Crucifixion was considered so obscene that no one spoke about it. If, if you had a relative who had been crucified and killed off in this way, you would not dare mention it. It was something that was unspoken. This form of death was designed for maximum pain but minimum blood loss why so that they could extend the torture and the agony and the pain that someone went through and I'm not going to go into the full details in this setting but let me just give you this very brief summary because I want us to see how much it cost him it says Jesus suffered hours of limitless pain cycles of twisting joint rending cramps intermittent partial asphyxiation and searing pain as tissue was torn from his lacerated back from his movement up and down the rough timbers of the cross. And having suffered incomprehensively, he raised his body just enough to breathe and he cried out, It is finished. It is finished. That term was this word tetelestai which meant this the debt has been paid in full in other words what Jesus was saying is he reached up his body enough to be able to say these words it is finished or paid in full he was saying 
The debt owed to God but mankind has been paid in full by the one who made mankind. He has paid in full for your sin, for your guilt, for your sorrow, for your shame, for everything that should have been on us. He has paid in full. And his mission of rescuing you and I had finally been completed and finally he could allow his body to die. Our Saviour, I want you to see this, our Saviour willingly, he didn't, wasn't forced, he wasn't made, he willingly submitted himself to those horrors. Why? He did it for you. And he did it for me. And it's uncomfortable maybe listening to these things, but we need to understand just how much it cost him so that we see the magnitude of it. And he did it in so doing, he fulfilled scripture that was spoken hundreds of years before. Now, if you're here today, maybe for your first time, you're like, I don't know about the Bible. I don't know. It doesn't add up. I don't know. Maybe it's just man. How can one God write? Here's proof that one God wrote the whole Bible in this moment, Isaiah 50 verse 6, listen to these prophecies. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Isaiah 52, 14, hundreds of years before, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human and from his appearance one could scarcely know he was a man. Isaiah 53 verse 4 to 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. He did it for us and we see that today. We have the benefit of hindsight. And that's why we worship him. That's why any understanding of what it truly cost him should cause us to give our lives away and to truly live for him. But imagine it again, real time. Imagine the pain and the confusion and the, and, and the what on earth is going on in this moment. And so the women, we read in Luke chapter 24, go to the tomb. And this is what it says, Luke 24 verse 1. It says, on the first day of a week, very early in the morning, The women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, and I want you to catch this phrase, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So the ladies arrive at the tomb, and they find this stone rolled away. And the angels ask them this profound question that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to ask of us today in a unique way. He asks them this question, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You see, these women went to the tomb. And the tomb, because of what had happened, represented a place of hopelessness and pain and doubt and insecurity and defeat and death and finality. But Jesus was and is the resurrection and the life. Amen. No tomb could hold him. No tomb can contain him. And so the risen king was not there because life cannot be found 
in dead places. Now, how does a question asked to some women visiting a tomb 2,000 years ago affect us today? How does that question affect me? How does it affect you? How does that statement, how has it got anything to do with us in the year 2022? I believe that question, why do you look for the living among the dead, still is important to us because in the year 2022, many people are still looking for life and purpose and meaning and being and relationships in all the wrong places. I believe the question could be posed to us today, why do we keep looking for life in the dead things of this world? Well, why do we keep going to dead places looking for new life? See, Jesus made this comment in John 10.10, 10, didn't he? He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He termed it abundant life. Now that abundant life doesn't necessarily mean a long life. That abundant life doesn't necessarily mean a comfortable life where nothing ever goes wrong. But what abundant life means is, is total satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. No matter what your life looks like, total satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. How often do we look for that in all the wrong places? When Jesus, the life giver, said, if you seek me, you will find me. And ultimately, we will find what we need. We will find what we're actually looking for. So why do we go to the wrong places? Why do we keep going to the same sins, thinking that this time they're going to fulfill us? Now that question may resonate with some people in this place because maybe you're caught in a sin cycle. And every time you engage in that sin, your response afterwards is, I don't want to be here again. I don't want to give in to this lust anymore. I don't want to be controlled by this anger. I don't want to run other people down through gossip. I don't want to keep elevating myself in order to feed my pride and you find yourself in that place again why do you keep finding yourself seeking life in dead places what why do we keep looking to our careers and our wage packets as some kind of security and identity and it's great to have a great career and it's all fine having a good job none of those things are wrong but some of us have made idols out of our careers and out of our jobs we look to them to provide purpose and satisfaction and contentment when Jesus alone is the source of abundant life why do we look for life in dead places For others of you, it's relationships. And again, relationships are God-made, God-ordained. But some of you are going from relationship to relationship to relationship. From person to person to person. Trying to desperately find something in them and their opinion of you that can only be found in Jesus. Why are we looking for the living among the dead why are we trying to find life contentment and satisfaction in all the wrong places and so the angel says to the woman don't you remember what Jesus said he said that he would die he said that he would be buried but he also promised that three days later he would be out of the tomb because it was only ever going to be burrowed for a moment he wasn't ever going to remain there and so the second aspect of this account that I want us to think about is this I want you to think for a moment how ridiculous it would have been for those women who had heard what the angels had said, who had encountered later on the resurrected Jesus. How ridiculous would it have been 
for them to keep revisiting the tomb knowing there was no one there. Imagine the conversations they would have had with their loved ones or their family. Where are you off to today? What are you up to? I'm going to the tomb of Jesus. Why? He's not there. I'm just going to go to that tomb again. I like visiting that tomb. It sounds ridiculous. Now the reason I make that exaggerated point is this. But as followers of Jesus, we've experienced his new life. So why is it that we keep revisiting old tombs that speak of death? Why do we keep meddling in the same sins when it just speaks of death? Why do we keep listening to the same tape of guilt and condemnation and and how we're never going to do anything for Christ when Jesus' resurrection speaks of forgiveness and freedom? Why do we keep visiting our past and the pain of our past when we've experienced the healing power of Jesus Christ? I wonder this morning, what is your tomb? What is that tomb that you keep revisiting? The tomb could speak of a broken relationship. It could speak of uh, of relationship that feeds your insecurity. It could be a regret that brings you pain. It could be feelings that speak of defeat. It could be a sin that produces death. And we can keep visiting the same old wounds and playing out the same old guilt and reliving the same broken relationships and so on and so on. But you will never find life in dead places. And so you can keep revisiting the past and you can keep playing out the same old things, hoping for different results or else you can instead make the decision today, I am going to leave the tomb behind. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not going to keep playing out this brokenness anymore. Yes, people hurt me. Yes, things happen. But I'm not going to keep going to that place that speaks of death because I have encountered the resurrected Jesus. I refuse to visit that anymore. I allow it to just simply be a reminder to the power of God's resurrected life in the testimony of my life. For Jesus... The tomb was never meant to be a permanent place of residence. It was only ever a stepping stone to a declaration of God's victory. Amen? Do we believe that this morning? What is your tomb? What is that area of brokenness that you keep revisiting in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions? Or maybe that area of brokenness that you find yourself in right now. You came into this venue this morning. You are in a place of brokenness. Well, here's the good news. You're in the greatest place that you can be, the church of the living God. Because the message of Easter speaks this, you don't have to remain in that tomb. There's no life there. There's nothing in there for you. And the tombs of our life were only ever stepping stones to God's victory and God's glory. Listen, I don't know what it is you're trying to find life in, but I do know this, that you will only ever find true Zoe abundant life in Jesus. I don't know what your tomb was, but I do know that it isn't a place you'll ever find life in, no matter how many times you keep revisiting it, over and over and over again. There will never be new life in that dead place. I don't know what your tomb is that you're in right now, but I do know this, for that brokenness is not going to be your testimony. That brokenness is not a permanent place of residence for you as a new creation in Christ. And his promise is an assurance of that. You see, Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, but he rose so that we could experience new life in him.
Amen? It's been said many times before. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. Jesus died so that dead people, people who were dead in their sins, could be made alive in Christ, resurrected to new hope and new purpose and new understanding of His power in them. And so this morning, in a moment, the worship team are going to come and they're going to just minister to you. I've asked that we're not going to join in with a song. They're just going to minister to us and sing to us. And as they do... I believe there's some people here that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to. Team, you can just come up and just prepare. But don't be distracted by them. Because listen, I believe the Holy Spirit for one group, He wants to issue you a challenge. There's a group of people in here, individuals in here, the Holy Spirit wants to issue you a challenge this morning as you just reflect on what He's speaking to you today. To stop going to the wrong things the wrong places, the wrong people, those sins that are entangling you, trying to find what only Jesus Christ can give you. For for another group, I believe he wants to heal you of your apparent need to revisit old tombs, old places of brokenness. He's going to bring you to a place of wholeness where you stop looking for life in dead places. To, To another group, I believe that he wants to flood your life with hope this morning living hope confident expectation that though you're in what feels like a dead end right now though you feel like you're in a tomb like moment though it feels like there's very little reason to hope this is not the end some of you the Holy Spirit is going to speak that into your life this is not the end amen Some of you need to hear that loud and clear this morning. Whatever you're in, whatever tomb you're in, whatever brokenness you're in, I'm here to tell you the good news of the gospel. This is not the end because we serve a God of another day. We serve a God of new beginnings. We serve a God of resurrection life. We serve a God that when they tried to put a stone in front of his tomb and keep him there dead and quiet, he rose from the dead. We serve a God of hundreds of testimonies around family church of people who were broken broken and made alive in him and God is at work in your life trust me this morning God is at work in your life for your good for your growth and for his glory and for another group in here I just believe the Holy Spirit just wants to underline the ridiculous amounts of victory you have in Jesus but you're not in a place of brokenness right now you're not feeling like you keep revisiting old tombs you're like Holy Spirit what does this speak to me I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to truly understand maybe some of you for the very first time just how blessed you are in Him just how victorious you are in Him just how much of an overcomer you are in Christ Jesus there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus you are free you are free You are victorious. You are an overcomer in Him. And this Easter, it's another opportunity to celebrate that and to live in the power of it. Just close your eyes in this place. Holy Spirit, just as the worship team come and sing to us this morning, I pray that you would just speak into the hearts and the minds of people in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, be free to minister, we pray.
Lord, for those who are broken. Holy Spirit, give them hope. For those who keep visiting the dead places, looking for life, may they understand they will never find life outside of you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So I just want us in this moment, I want you to pray this prayer within yourself. I just want you to to pray as the Holy Spirit just ministers and as the worship team sing. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today in this moment?